0: I'm Gary and this is episode 89 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at education. More importantly, we'll be looking at who needs educating and why. Before we start, I wanted to remind everyone who's been asking that no, I can't tell you what ZapMap have told me that's been embargoed have to wait another few weeks until the announcement, then Melanie Shufflebottom will be back on the show to chat about it. If I was to give you a clue though, I wouldn't get any more exclusives, so stop asking. Our main topic of discussion today is education. There are basically three items of focus when it comes to educating people about electric vehicles. One, who needs educating? Two, what do they need educating on? And three, how do they need educating? But first, let's talk about why education is so important. On one of our first episodes, number three to be exact, we talked about the mainstream dealers and why they're failing to provide good service to people wanting to buy EVs. Now, that was almost three years ago now. Since then, the number of mainstream automotive manufacturers in the EV market has grown considerably. The number of electric vehicles on the road has grown considerably, and the government has put the 2030 fossil fuel vehicle sale ban in place. And all this means that there are more and more dealers selling more and more electric cars to more and more members of the public, which means that unless there are better means of education, we've got a problem. In the second round table episode, we discussed education with people like Jill Knoll, who said,
1: I needed to find a, I was in the market for a secondhand electric car about 18 months ago, looking, had I not known who to speak with? I think I had a chat with you, Jonathan, if I remember, but then also Matt Cleveley at Cleveley EV, you know, and Clearly, such knowledgeable people, so genuinely passionate about electric cars, and they—they they found you know what I needed—a second-hand Nissan Leaf. Had I not known who to engage with, then I would have been in real difficulty, you know. And then I speak to people, um, and this is purely anecdotal, but somebody I spoke to recently said, "Oh yeah, but I had to drive in an electric car and it was rubbish." And I said, oh, "What was that?" And they said, "Oh, it was a Toyota Auris." If we can't educate the
0: people who need education, there's going to be a problem. Let me start with a couple of little anecdotes. The highest selling Renault Zoe dealer in the country sold more cars than anyone else for one simple reason. He got every customer who came to buy a Renault into a Zoe and he took them for a test drive. He drove a Zoe himself and he was knowledgeable about cars. It didn't matter what they were wanting to buy, he put them in a Zoe for a test drive. His education foo was good. Conversely, and I've said this before, there's an anecdotal story of the iPace driver who plugged his car into the AC socket at a BP pulse rapid charger because the dealer had pointed at the charge port when he bought the car and said, you plug it in here. Because the AC charger was the one that fit, that's the one he used. The fact that this would have taken him hours and hours to charge versus about 40 minutes if he'd used the right connector was less important than the fact that the dealer had either deliberately given him the wrong information or was not educated well enough to know the difference himself. His education, Foo, was not good. Was it ignorance from the dealer, or deliberate miseducation because the dealer didn't want to sell an electric car? We'll never know. There are those who take quite the contrary opinion. I shouldn't need to be educated on how to do something I've been doing for dozens of years. If electric cars are so complicated they need specific education so you can use them, they shouldn't sell them. Obviously, that's something of a niche opinion, but one that certain daily fail-reading members of the public would see as as valuable. To them I say, you can absolutely use your electric vehicle with very little education as a driver. Sure, you might not get the best out of it, your efficiency might be bad, it might take forever to charge, you might run out of charge somewhere, but it'll work without education. But, just like when you got your first PlayStation or Xbox or computer or smartphone or plasma TV You wanted to know how it worked, how to use it and how to get the best out of it. As a user, though, you want the hassle to be minimal. As someone selling these things, however, you need to be as up to date as possible. There is a responsibility on dealers to know as much about the vehicles as they can. The guys at Nissan have to learn about the Qashqai and the Pathfinder, so why shouldn't they learn about the LEAF? No reason at all. So let's look at the three questions I asked earlier and examine the state of the union when it comes to electric vehicle education. So who needs to be educated? Firstly, we have car dealers. We've talked already about how it's incumbent on legacy car dealers moving into selling EVs to know as much as they can about these vehicles. It's not good enough to try and fob someone going to buy a Hyundai Kona off by pointing them towards the mild hybrid because you don't know enough about the full electric to talk knowledgeably. Legacy manufacturers are starting to throw a lot of money towards EVs, so it makes sense that there are comprehensive education programs to go along with that. Secondly, we have politicians. With the impending 2030 ban on the sale of new fossil fuel vehicles in the UK, there will be efforts from certain quarters to apply political pressure to the government to slow down or stop things. There are some very persuasive members of the fossil fuel lobby out there who would find it very easy to pull the wool over some uneducated politicians' eyes. If the politicians are up to speed on the details and information about EVs, it becomes harder. There are already several MPs who purchased EVs, and are quite vocally supportive of them, but nowhere near enough. Thirdly, we have fossil fuel vehicle drivers. Why should we educate them? Because ultimately, they'll become EV drivers. Might not be now, might not be tomorrow, but sooner or later they'll have to buy an EV if they want to drive on the road. If we can lay the groundwork now for their transition, it makes the the process so much easier. Fourthly, we have social media commenters. Or maybe not. Alongside fossil fuel influencers, they tend to be the ones who have the vested interest in keeping the status quo. You only need to read the replies to an entry promoting a battery electric vehicle to see the social media commenters coming out in force with a lot of their untruths, mistruths, or just plain ignorance. Finally, we have potential EV buyers, the people like you and me who buy these cars. They need to understand enough to make them comfortable enough to actually buy an EV. Now we've looked at who needs to be educated, let's look at What do they need educating on? Well, this is a complete topic in itself. Obviously, what you need to know about EVs depends on which of the above groups of people you belong to. If you're a car dealer, you probably have a different education need to a politician or a fossil fuel advocate. Regardless of who you are, though, education needs to start with myth busting. The very first episode of this podcast, almost three years ago now, was called Myths and Legends. It's still one of the most popular episodes we've produced, and it went through some of the falsehoods or misunderstandings that existed around the whole area of electric vehicles. These included, that batteries will need replacing in three years. You can't drive them in the rain. They take days to recharge. If you Want to hear the episode in full? The link's in the show notes. In many, many conversations surrounding EVs, there are always people who try to throw one or more of these myths back at you. Another popular one, for example, concerns the dirtiness of the electricity grid. You're just swapping one source of fossil fuel for another, and this is usually said by people who think that the energy grid is mostly coal. In some countries that's correct, but in the UK that couldn't be further from the truth. Even if it was, EVs are better for the environment using coal as a source of electricity than using petrol due to the embedded carbon in the processing, refining and transportation process. Another one that we'll need to be educated on is the hydrogen myth. There are many people out in the world with a vested interest in pushing the fallacy that hydrogen cars are the way forward. Don't buy an EV, get a hydrogen car. No sitting and waiting for hours to recharge, just fill up like a petrol car. To these people, I say, go boil your head. The fact is that hydrogen is an important part of the decarbonisation cycle, and it will be vital for certain aspects of travel, such as long distance cruising and flying. But there are many reasons why hydrogen is the wrong fuel for cars. I won't go into them in detail, but consider that a hydrogen car costs twice as much as a similar EV, fuel is expensive as petrol, the infrastructure is not there, and their efficiency is atrocious. But yes, if the circumstances are right, you can refill your hydrogen tank in about five minutes. Myth busting is an important skill set to have in your education arsenal. Once you've gotten over the myths, you then need to go into the selling points of EVs. They're quiet, reliable, cheap to run, fast and easy to charge at home. Jonathan Porterfield from ecocars.net always maintains that the single best way to sell someone an EV is to get them to drive an EV. And that's borne out by the anecdote I mentioned above about the Renault Zoe dealer who took everyone out in a Zoe regardless of which car they came in to look at bums on seats. Of course, once someone has an EV or has made the decision to buy an EV, the education then starts surrounding the benefits of their new vehicle. These include understanding that the running costs will be lower. The lack of an engine, gearbox and transmission will reduce the potential of broken parts. Fewer overall components reduces complexity and makes servicing easier. And the the lower usage of brakes cuts down on the wear and tear on brake pads. On the topic of brakes, now's a good time to educate people on the concept of regen. You can actually use the movement of the car while slowing down to put energy back into the battery. This is especially useful when going down hills. There are stories of people starting at the top of big hills, mountains perhaps, with 25 miles of range, traveling 10 miles downhill using the brakes and regen, and ending up with 30 miles of range at the bottom. Impossible in an ICE car, but part of the course for an EV. Until EVs drop in price, one key education point is the total cost of ownership. Both buyers, and to some extent dealers, need to understand that sticker price of an EV is almost immaterial. The calculation should be one which covers the total cost of ownership. How much will it cost per month to buy or lease the EV? Then, how much per month were you spending on fossil fuels for your old ICE car? How much were you spending in servicing? How much were you spending in tax, either vehicle excise duty or benefits in kind? How much were you spending in congestion charging or ultra low emission zone charging? Add all these figures up and compare them with what you're paying for the EV and the electricity. I'm comfortable that at the moment the figures will tip in favour of an EV. They did for me when I bought mine, and I was paying nothing for my 11-year-old's Honda Civic because it was fully paid off. Of course, we will get to a tipping point with EVs where the government will start to change the vehicle excise duty and fuel tax regime to account for the lost revenue from ICE vehicles and fossil fuels. At that point, the economics will tip back to a more level playing field, but by that time, there will be far fewer fossil fuel cars being produced, and even less fossil fuel being sold, at a much higher price. EVs will also be at parity or below the price of ICE cars. We talked earlier about hydrogen cars and how some people tend to think that EVs are a waste of time and we should be focusing on hydrogen. And this is an example of needing to educate people on the future of EVs. At the moment, the range of EVs is limited. Although there are already dozens of different models on the market, it's still nowhere near the number of internal combustion engine models. There are areas of the market that are underserved. Try getting a family-sized people carrier with a big battery in a decent range, or an estate. EV with a decent range, the choice is rather limited. But we need to educate people that even two years ago we had far fewer models on the market than we have now. The number of legacy manufacturers that were providing EVs was very limited. Nowadays that isn't the case. Audi, Mercedes, Vauxhall, Honda, Ford, Peugeot, Mini, Seat, Skoda, Volvo all now have EVs that weren't available until quite recently. They're putting lots and lots of money into funding research on batteries, reducing costs and creating ground up EVs. I mean, while I love the old e-Golf, an electrified version of a fossil fuel car, it isn't a patch on the new ID.3 and ID.4 range, which is designed from the ground up to be a full electric car. As battery tech improves, we need to understand that the cost of batteries will drop. This, in turn, will reduce the overall price of electric vehicles and make them cheaper to buy than fossil fuel cars. But there also needs to be education on the charging infrastructure. Every week it seems someone produces an article or a blog post or video decrying the state of rapid charging in the UK or indeed most countries. The fact is, and we've said it literally dozens of times on this podcast, the charging infrastructure will never be as bad as it is today. Every day it gets better. With many companies operating in this space and the government looking to fund the rollout of high power chargers at motorway service areas, the infrastructure is heading in the right direction. Just last week, for instance, the first of several rapid charging hubs was opened on the motorway service areas at Rugby. 12 350kW chargers next to 12 Tesla superchargers. The plan is to roll these out to as many other motorway service areas as possible. Link this with the MFG group adding charging hubs at petrol stations, BP Pulse rolling out high power chargers at their non-franchised garages, Instavolt adding double-header units at drive through McDonald's, And you've got an infrastructure that will support the larger number of EVs expected to take over the road between now and 2030. Finally, our last question around education is, how do people need educating? And this is the tougher question. Education should predominantly be a function of how someone learns best, but it's also a function of getting the right message across. There are many organisations across the UK and across other countries with an education mandate. We chatted with Jill Noel from EVA England a couple of weeks ago, and she told us that education is something they're definitely looking at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we really need and want to build up our consumer-focused support material um, in that regard. Joining EVA England, you will receive a very, very, what we hope is informative information pack that takes you, you know, through the whole EV journey which includes, uh, you know, helping you out with all the the different terminology, the different languages used.
0: Automotive dealers should be subject to specific EV training for all their cars. It might be as simple as giving a dealer a car for a week and letting them work out the details. But whatever the way, that's a key driver to improving overall education around electric vehicles. But it's important to understand that it's incumbent upon everyone to be educators in this field. There are many social media individuals such as Robert Llewellyn and similar who can use their widespread platform to educate others. But often social media isn't the appropriate forum for this sort of education. The hate and vitriol which can easily arise in a relatively mundane conversation is indicative of the polarized views some people have of EVs. So I found that the best way to do this is in a face-to-face situation. I experienced it with my parents they couldn't understand why I would waste money on an electric car when I was going to have to replace the batteries in a couple of years. Then they wanted to know where all the rare earth metals were going to come from in the battery. Then my father wanted to know why I wouldn't even consider one of those fantastic self-charging hybrids. One by one I counted these arguments and disinformation, not by highlighting how stupid a lot of the arguments were, but by showing them factual pieces of information to let them know what was right and what was wrong. There are no rare earth metals in a battery, for example, and don't get me started on the self-charging hybrid canard. Now, I can have discussions with my mother about what charging stops I'm going to make when I finally get a chance to go and visit her, and she's making suggestions about the newest charges that have been installed. EV meetings are another great way to educate people. The EV groups Nexus, link in the show notes, coordinates all the local EV groups around the country. They meet regularly and they talk all things EV, or at least they will when things open up again, I meet to meetings with people who've turned up in an old Ford Fiesta wanting to know about a Nissan Leaf they've got their eye on. I sat people in my Kia Soul and shown them all the snazzy little things it does, as well as answer their questions about concerns they have around range anxiety and finding chargers and running the car in the rain. It's important to remember that when people come to you with questions like that, it's not because they're stupid or they want to wind you up. It's usually because they're genuinely curious and know that, For example, water and electricity don't mix, so how can you drive an EV in the wet? Genuine questions deserve genuine answers. One of the greatest sources of good information are things like the various YouTube channels out there, fully charged is the go to when it comes to speaking with people who know about these things. But if you want to know something about batteries and battery tech, go and chat with Dr Ewan McTurk, who's been on the podcast, but he also has his own YouTube channel, link in the show notes. Many people have channels that focus on the specific EV they drive. Gary Whitaker drives an iPACE, has a great channel about owning and running that car. Andrew Till has, or rather had, an e-Nero, and his epic adventures in that car are on his channel. Our very own Simon Rowe has the i3, and a lot of the videos on his channel are around that. However, probably the single most important propagator of education at the moment is the fully charged live shows that are taking place or scheduled around the world. These allow people with an interest in EVs and renewables to come together with experts, specialists and people who just seem to know a lot about these things and learn. Anecdotally, a large proportion of the people who attended the first couple of fully charged shows in the UK did not drive an EV. Many of them who are coming to the next one in September at Farnborough will be driving one. Links to tickets for Fully Charged Live are in the show notes. The fact is that there are numerous sources of good information about all sorts of things to do with EVs and renewables. If you want to know, for example, about studies relating to electrifying trucks, try Alka Twitter account. For all things energy and renewable, go and read uh, Michael Libri. It's all out there. In summary, education is key to driving EV adoption. With a large amount of fear, uncertainty and doubt, alongside the legions of people who like to spout misinformation, whether deliberately or accidentally, it's of paramount importance that there are people who can provide factual information and, more importantly, first-hand experience about driving EVs. There's nothing more comforting than hearing someone tell you I took my EV from Kent to Italy and back via France, Germany, Austria and Belgium. It was a bit hairy in France but everywhere else was good. If you like to travel abroad and you're worried about how to make your EV work on the continent for example. Resources are out there. We should use them. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. New EV sales are up again in the UK and as a general rule worldwide. New figures show that year-to-date EVs are up 108% on 2020 with almost 41,000 being registered. The cuts to the plug-in car grant has slowed this slightly and meant hybrids became more popular. They're up 172%. But the headline figure is an increase of 566% in EVs in April 2021 compared with April 2020. This is obviously an artificial boost due to the start of lockdown and the precipitous drop in car sales that month. The important figure, in my opinion is a market share percentage. Pure EVs have a market share of 7.2% year to date. Putting that another way, one in every 15 cars sold in the UK is running completely on a battery. And if you include plug-in hybrids, the figure goes to about one in eight. It's pretty good going. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com or on Twitter at musings_ev. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library. Please check it out. If you want to support the podcast and the associated newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an Evie Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Also, in the show notes, our links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise vi- visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thank you to everyone who's provided a review already. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at Musing TV with the words "Education is key." hashtag If you know, you know nothing else. Thanks. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he can't wait to start learning Mandarin. When I asked him what he was most looking forward to about learning the language, he said his course has some great documentation.
1: Very, very, what we hope is informative. information pack.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye-bye.